This is a podcast from Minute Media. Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome everyone, the Bastards are back for this Friday edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a four-game set against the Cleveland Guardians, splitting the series two games to two. They are currently still last place in the American League East with a perfect 500 record, 50-50. and 50. They are three and a half games out of the final wild card spot. Quick disclaimer, as always, for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina by way of Wyndham, Maine. You can find me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining us tonight from the mile high city of Denver by way of Quincy, Massachusetts, Andrew Dwan. Andrew? Socks are back. No, we're one and oh since the Yankees have traded for Andrew Benintendi. So I think we found the magic formula. And we are back. Did Benintendi start tonight? He did and struck out his first as bat. Okay. Three did, pitches. Did he get ahead at all? Just I guess. Ah, that's the last I saw of it. They only scored one run. They only needed one run, but against the Royals, that was kind of weird. They only had two hits. <laughs> the one was the walk off home run by Aaron Judge. <laughs> okay. Uh, also joining us, as you just heard, from the nation's capital by way of Newport, Rhode Island, Job. How we doing, gentlemen? The Red Sox are not back. This, let's, disclaimer, I know Andrew was joking, but for anybody who does not value sarcasm, I'll put it right there, plain as day, the Red Sox are not back. This is not going to be one of those shows where everything is sunshine and rainbows Terry, I, I forget the exact language of our disclaimer, but it's something like, you know, we're not a Homer podcast and shut it off right now if you don't like listening <laughs> yeah. to uh, criticism. Yeah. Shut it off right now if you don't like listening to criticism. I uh, don't care that we split the series. Extreme negativity inbound. I would be more excited if we split against the division, which we've done once. I think we've lost uh, 14 times, but. Uh, but it, it, the two losses we had, uh, especially uh, the second loss, which took place in Game 3, was pretty ugly. We'll be getting into that later on. 
Uh, we're gonna maybe there could be a little bit of trade talk this episode, but the bulk of it will be in tomorrow's episode for deep dives. So tons of that last year on our final deep dive show. I think that was a day or two before the deadline. We recorded the whole show, and then five minutes after the show ended, that's when Schwarber came to the Red Sox, so we had to start over. But I don't think there will be uh, history repeating itself tonight since we're still uh, a handful of days out. I think uh, August 2nd is what, Tuesday? Let's see. It is. It is. Yes, Tuesday. So we'll also probably do a special um, trade deadline reaction show that night. Any of the the hosts that want to come on, Job has already said he will be available. Um, So we'll cover everything in depth. But the series was a split. So in that case, we will start on the studs side of things. Although I, I did caution uh, before we came on, we'll probably spend more time on the dud side. But officially uh, starting with our studs, Job, you're in the leadoff spot. Go ahead. Who is your stud for the Guardian series? Well, this is reluctant because no one on this team deserves a stud nod at any point over the last 10 days. But I'm going to go with Cutter Crawford. Um, Cutter Crawford through. Five and two-thirds innings, gave up one run on three hits, no walks. He did only strike out two, uh, but he was very effective when he needed to be. And the Red Sox really needed that from Cutter Crawford because the team is hanging by a thread, if not already gone. And Cutter Crawford all of a sudden has become one of your more reliable starters. And no one would have thought that when he was giving up 10 runs in Detroit in April um, out of the bullpen. So some of his numbers, as we look at the last couple of games, he did get beat up in Tampa on the 14th, uh, six hits, but again, only three runs over six innings, six innings, five hits, three runs against Toronto last week. And this week's, Five and two-thirds, three hits, one run, again, against the Guardians. So he has become the best pitcher on the staff. I know that's easy to do when there's no pitchers available on the staff, but um, right now he's the only one that you really want to watch when it comes time for appointment viewing. Andrew, thoughts on Crawford? Yeah, he's been great. Um I mean, if he continues this, this is a hell of an audition for next season um, where, you know, either he's a pretty decent chip or he's you know, back end of the rotation number five starter. Um, and I think it's been pretty clear at this point that he is a starter. He's got, as a starter, he's got a 3.41 ERA as a reliever, 5.6. Um, he's let up just as many runs as a reliever in half the innings. Uh, that he's been a starter. So he seems very comfortable, loves demeanor out there. Uh, he, you know, this is what we saw that first series, first game, I think, in New York when he faced the heart of the Yankees order in either the eighth or the ninth and shut them all down. And then he, uh, he had a little bit of blow up after that. I forget it was against maybe like Detroit or something. But 
this is a pretty darn good development to see him really kind of hold on to this position at this point. And going forward, I feel pretty confident throwing him in the back end of that rotation. I like watching Carter Crawford. I, I think it was a week or two ago, maybe a week and a half actually when I think Pavetta was getting knocked around. I'm like, well, who's our ace now? And everybody, the most popular answer was Cutter Crawford. And he's been the most consistent guy over a month, as you guys have said. My only concern with him is if the strikeouts tend to drop, that's been a sign this season that other lineups are figuring you out. And and typically they do go on a rough stretch. We saw it with Whitlock earlier on. His strikeouts just plummeted. Uh, it happened with Pavetta before he went through his rough stretch. He had a, a nice start in game one, so hopefully that could be a sign that he's figured out what his mechanical uh, malfunctions were. But uh, it's just something to bear watching, but Crawford has been a nice surprise. I expected almost nothing out of him. We saw him in one or two starts last year. Nothing about him really stood out to me as as a guy who could hold down a permanent spot in, in a Red Sox rotation on a team that should be competitive. So, again, pleasant surprise, and, and hopefully it continues. Job, you had some thoughts? Yeah, I wanted to ask you both a question because I think this – this has been on my mind for the last couple of games, but especially after tonight's game. How much better would you feel about this team and specifically the general manager of this team if these numbers over the last three starts were not Cutter Crawford, but they were coming from Brian Bayo? I don't see how they have anything to do with them. Well, if Brian Bayo is putting up these numbers, I'd feel a lot better about the future of the Red Sox than Cutter Crawford because yeah. of the numbers that Terry mentioned. Oh, Bayo is not. I mean, he's he's still developing. You know, he he's up in Boston due to just massive amount of injuries. Oh, exactly, exactly. My my point being is that I feel like this is the ceiling for Cutter Crawford. Like, I don't feel like he's going to take another step. And if I was seeing this from a younger guy, I would say this is probably a piece of the future. Bloom can't sell me that Cutter Crawford is a starting pitcher for the Red Sox in a competent year. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen the number five starter before, but that's pretty good number five starter stuff. We're not talking about every guy's going to win 19 games. I mean, if, if your number five starter has a 4.5 to 4.7 ERA in the AL East, that's not bad. Like, that's, that's pretty routine. I mean... Where did Crawford come from for starters? Um, did Bloom acquire he's him? Drafted. Oh, he drafted. Oh, so he's a Dombrowski guy then. Yes. Okay. I I thought Bloom probably either got him in a trade or just kind of pulled him off the scrap heap. He's twenty six. The years last old. year of Dave Dombrowski. Last year. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Sixteenth round of the of the 2017 MLB draft. And he comes from uh, Florida Gulf Coast University. I think, isn't that Chris Sale's alma mm, mater? It is. Yeah, I think I've heard that mentioned before. Um, yeah, I mean, 
I agree with Andrew on Bayo. I mean, two of those starts were less than optimal. He was getting bombarded with lefty starters. I was a little disappointed with the Toronto start because I thought, well, you know, maybe this could be a chance to kind of get a glimpse. And I, I didn't see it. I only saw the 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 stat line. I, I was on a road trip. Deeper weekend, into his but. line, though, he does actually have a leak ground ball rate at this point with uh, some of the least hard contact in the league um, off those. He's been getting babbit essentially, which sucks. But, yeah, he hasn't been sharp. He's clearly, you know – still figuring things out. I have zero hesitations that he won't develop into a solid number three, which is kind of his ceiling. You think that's a ceiling? I was hoping it was higher. Yeah. Two or three. I mean, that's, you know, he's a 50, 55 grade prospect. Okay. He's talking 60 is about a, is a number two. And then above that. Okay. Um, and his fastball just doesn't seem to be overpowering at all. And I mean, he tops out at 98, doesn't he? He does. Uh, in shorter sense, he has hit triple digits, but. Okay. Well, I would I like... say 98 is nothing to slouch out if it has movement. But exactly. I, kind of flat. It just doesn't. Yeah. It just didn't seem that, that, uh, overpowering to me, you know, Pedro never really hit triple digits and, you know, he was a monster. So, you know, that's kind of, you know, I was hoping he would be able to, you know, kind of show. His slider and change up need to develop more. That's, that's going to be his bread and butter, those two pitches. Okay. All right. And uh, back to Crawford. It's a pleasant surprise. Every now and then you, you get a guy like that, that just comes in with expectations that aren't high and they make the most of it. And, I think that's kind of what we're hoping for here. Um, he's should have plenty of options. He's not even arbitration eligible till uh, 2025. So we'll see. I don't see the Red Sox moving him though. Uh, you know, by any means. So no, he's a great depth arm. If that's all it ends up being. And I don't think we'll get into much Winkowski talk, but you know, with him scuffling, you, you need as many of these guys as you can. So, all right, uh, Andrew, go ahead. Your stud for the series. Mine was Garrett Whitlock, who is back and just as good as ever. Still seems a little dinged up. I swear to God, I see a little bit of a limp in him. Um, but him going two innings, right now he's pretty much replicating Josh Hader's 2018 in terms of output and production. Hader appeared, I had the numbers up, I think it was like 55 games, but 81 innings. So getting used not just as the closer, but that seventh, eighth inning guy, when you need to win this game, he's locking it down. And Josh Hader finished seventh in Cy Young that year. That's what we're seeing with Garrett, Garrett Whitlock right now. And I do think they'll probably try to make him starter again in the offseason. I think with a full, off, like, regular offseason – it might go a little bit more smooth if they just tell him, you know, point blank, there's not, it's not you versus how you're a starter. You know, it might go better than it did this year, but for this season, he's going to steal you games. If you can wait and he's going to shut down that opponent for six, for six outs, he get, he's one of the best weapons in the league. And I don't even think it's close. Joe, I, agree wholeheartedly with everything Andrew just said. 
Uh, he didn't leave much uh, for, for me to add except this. I think the fact that he's able to transition back to the bullpen with such efficiency, which is what he's done his last couple of outings, especially uh, the two-inning outings, gives the Red Sox a major out. It gives them the opportunity to try to make him a starter again because he's proven if that doesn't work a second time, you can just put me back in the bullpen and I'll just figure it out. So I don't worry too, too much about his ability to transition from bullpen to starter, starter to bullpen anymore. And that's a good thing for this team. Um, the other piece is he absolutely at the back end of that bullpen makes you so much stronger, especially if he's going two innings. Andrew, you said, what, 55 games is what he's on pace for? That's what I was saying uh, Hater had. I, what I Hater had. I can pull that up now. In I would, 2018, he, yeah, 55 games, 81 and a third inning. So the multiple, the multi-use, you know, on, uh, you know, about a third of the time. That That is probably the right number for Whitlock, considering, you know, Tommy John, his usage, ramping it back up. And I don't know how many innings he's thrown to this point, in all honesty, but I would imagine it's probably about 100 innings, right? Uh, between starting and the bullpen, maybe 80 innings. Um, I don't want him pitching too, too much more than that um, at where he's at in his career. They did give him starter money, and they signed him to a long-term deal. So I'm very happy with Garrett Whitlock. It's good to see him back. And the back end of the bullpen looks so, so much stronger with him back there. If you add him and John Schreiber together with the season that they're both having, it's almost like if we had left him in the bullpen the entire time, the way that this crew said they should, this team might still really be in the hunt for something. One more quick point on that contract. The most expensive he gets is in 2028, his final year. That's only 10 and a half. So that's cheap. Even if he just turns into a reliever, you're looking in 2023, one and a quarter, three and a half, five and a half, seven and a half, eight and a quarter. You know, that's not even setup man money at this point. So he's a and he's already better than as long as he, guys. you know, if he's never more than this two inning weapon out of the bullpen, which again, invaluable, well worth the money. It's an absolute steal. Wasn't Madison Bumgarner on a ridiculously cheap contract? Was it him? Yes. I think so, yeah. Now he's on, like, the worst. <laughs> well, Then not- he got signed to a boatload of money, and now he's in Arizona just holding on to his big league career. Yeah. I mean, the, his current contract's good for him, but, I mean, it's bad for the team. I'm just for the heck of it. I'm pulling it up right now. Let's see. When did he become a free agent? So it was after 2019. So I guess Whitlock's isn't quite as friendly because the last uh, three years of Bumgarner's deal, he was getting basically $12 million a year um, for that. But if you go back to those World Series years, it doesn't have 2010 here. I thought he was on that team too. I think it was just 2012 and 14, right? Well, 2012, he, he basically got his second year of um, pre-arbitration pay. Yeah, so. he was on a 2010 team. He, was he? Okay. Yeah. Baseball reference doesn't have it listed. It, no, but if you scroll up, it has his rodeo championships on there. Because right. that's how he got uh, super screwed up in Colorado. 
like broke his body. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and then in uh, 2014, he went, the last of the three championships, he only made um, uh, three and three quarter million. So, yeah. So as far as Whitlock goes. I don't really care what his role is as long as it's an effective one, as long as it's one he's comfortable with for the rest of this year. That's the bullpen. We know this. It's kind of fun because he's really being utilized the same way as Tanner Houck. They're both coming in for multiple innings and you could pick which one you like more. If it's a, like an intense situation, Hostile environment, big game. I think I'd almost rather have Hauk on the mound. Just my preference. I wouldn't complain if it was Whitlock, but I think I think Hauk kind of handles the the moment more. But it is nice to have two of them in the pen. And I was saying previously, this was probably a month ago, if they were one inning guys and one was the eighth, one was the ninth, whichever way you wanted to flip that, they could be the best eighth, ninth inning guys in the in the league really <laughs> the best tandem so but Whitlock does look a little more comfortable and Andrew you did mention his limp he does look like he's laboring a little I noticed so maybe maybe they've figured out well it's minor it's probably going to need some work but it can wait until the you know off season and, and maybe that's what the plan is so he absolutely is laboring and you can tell because he comes down a little bit a little bit hard on his left ankle in his first appearance in this series. And Cora was faster to the mound with a trainer than he's ever been in his entire career. So they clearly know something's going on with him and yet he's still dominant. So I'm okay with it. And I maintain that if he had been in the bullpen the entire season, this team would be so much better off. You'd probably have three or four more wins. You take some of those blown bullpen games, and I'd say you probably have five more wins. Yeah, that's 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 cogent. Uh, all right, so next on the docket, my stud for the series, Xander Bogarts, basically single-handedly won this game uh, tonight in the finale with a with a three-run shot. Surprisingly, I I knew he was down in home runs this year, as some other players are, but only eight for Xander. Still an all-star, still having a great year, hitting well over 300, but uh, he had a great series overall, six for 13. Didn't need a day off. That's always nice. Um, He's... He's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. So, he, I mean, it's in everybody's best interest if the, if the home run totals tick up. And before you guys give your take, I'll also throw out there, all the beat writers are reporting at this point that Xander has been told he will not be traded. So, we're not going to... I think that that bodes very ill for his market value. Well, Andrew has some thoughts on that, I'm sure. I'm sure he does. Andrew's the guy to go to with all of that, all the exact numbers. But I saw that he was reportedly he wanted $200 million per Jeff Passan. Um, I don't know if that happens uh, based on the market, the way it is now, and who's going to be a free agent. 
I don't even know if he headlines that class. So, I think Trey Turner might out outbid him as far as shortstops go. It'll be interesting to see the way the market develops, but his power being down, I think, is a concern because the defense, as we know, is always a concern. He did win us this game. It's always nice to see Xander Bogarts in the lineup every every day of a four-game set. doesn't happen often, as you mentioned, Terry. I'm going to be really sad watching him field ground balls at short for another team next season. But I don't know if I would pay him $200 million. Yeah, he came out. He, I mean, he was great this series. They needed it. They've needed this for a while out of him. His RBI rate has been just as bad as J.D. Martinez's lately. Well, not lately, this entire season. And that's really been pretty much a killer during this absence of Devers and Trevor's story. Um, but he came out, and yeah, he said the Red Sox came up. They told me personally I'm not getting traded. And uh, he said it was a relief, and now he thinks he's been playing better. That they told him that he said that he still thinks the Red Sox can get healthy and make the playoffs. So I don't know. This seems to be like a lot of coddling. I don't know why these red, you know, we've, I think we talked, or at least I talked about it preseason. I said, you know, I like the fact that we've got some guys hitting the free agency year. There's going to be a lot of incentives. Instead, it's just a lot of worrying about, you know, getting theirs which it seems to be, um, and seems to be in their head. So hopefully this turns the season around. They need him to provide some pop. Trevor Story is still reporting pain when he swings, so that's going to be a bit longer, unfortunately. I There's been no updates on Devers. I have no idea what to expect out of that situation. But Sit him. Well, I mean, if they're still going for it, they're not going to sit him, but... Um, yeah, they need Xander to provide some second half pop, which hasn't really been his MO over the years. So I didn't see the Jeff Passan report. I, I was able to pull it up on Google just now. So 200 sounds like a, a really steep drop from numbers that you might've expected a couple months ago. I mean, that's still approaching seven years. You know that's that scares me even more. I don't know. That's seven I would years. Give, I'd max years. out five one fifty, and that's. I think if they did that, I don't think Devers would be signed back. But I, I don't see a team going seven years. And I don't know. I guess there's always a Rockies team that gives Chris Bryant 186 for no reason. But I, there's just too many. Swanson, Correa, Trey Turner. Next year, Tim Anderson. I, there's just too many options right now, and there seem to be a lot of good up and coming shortstops as well that teams don't need to blow the you know the bank for the Yankees, Volpe, Peraza, um, Orioles, Gunnar Henderson. You know, there's there's just a lot of young talent coming up that I think the vets might be a little surprised uh, when they wait till the week before spring training to sign. I think Bogarts would ultimately land in the area of Marcus Simeon. So he was, he was given what that was a seven year, $175 million deal. So 25 per year. I'm just wondering if perhaps the Red Sox try for Devers, 
can't get it done. And then the lateral move is, well, let's bring back Xander. That way, you know, the arsonists don't show up to Fenway and try to burn it down if we don't at least end up with one of them. I would hate that. And I think everyone on the show agrees that Devers is the guy to sign. I also think Devers is going to command a lot more money. But um, this this one Soto $440 million 15-year deal getting turned down is bad news for any MLB owner who had his eye on Ralphie Devers. Not to say that Rafi Devers is as good of a hitter as Juan Soto. I don't think he is. Uh, if that's blasphemous to Red Sox Nation, I'm sorry. But I think he he's in that category. If if Soto is 1A, I think Rafi is, is 1B and not 2. So I, I really think that he's going to command a premium. Real quick, uh... Andrew, you mentioned no news on Devers. Alex Spear seven hours ago said Devers yeah. is taking grounders and uh, expected to return as soon as eligible. So that's good. That's uh, encouraging. Um, I didn't. I was trying to see what grade of a hamstring strain that was, and I think they're one through four. One obviously being the least serious. So I'm guessing he was probably just a a grade one. I don't even know that it was a, a an actual sprain. I think it was just a an uncomfortable. You know, he was uncomfortable, and the Red Sox are thinking we we can't push it because if we lose Devers for the stretch, then we're done. Well, he had already missed a couple of games because of it, and then they put him in, and it just he just couldn't quite. He just and it was his back before that. And before that, it was his back. Okay. But yeah, 13 years is not looking that good. <laughs> right. Especially yeah. after this trout news. <laughs> it's just like, God. I think of any of these deals, 10 to I mean, 15 year Tatis, deals work. Right? Some of these long, none of these long term deals so far have really panned out. Well, one has, and that's the Machado deal. He seems to be the outlier in all of them. He's only, what, four years into the 10 year deal, but. Mm -hmm. He he had a a pretty bad knee injury uh, five or six years ago, but he's actually had a pretty good health throughout his career. So Harper deal not looking great. He's got the UCL issue, and then what he hurt his he broke his hand or something. He's got a thumb injury, and they oh. can't take the pins out yet. So they're right. Gotcha. There's nothing okay. there's there's nothing he can do about that, right? That's not like a a prep injury or him not being healthy or. He got drilled right on the hand. I mean, that's true. I've seen that a lot. Yeah, we're going through that with story right now. But uh, it, it'll be interesting. But the fact that the 200 number is floating around out there, it's just, it, it almost just sounds rational to me. <laughs> Maybe not so much for the Red Sox if, if that's not what they want. But he shouldn't have any problem getting 175 to 200 from from a team that's looking someone. Would... I think he might get 200 over seven years from somebody. Yeah. Why well, it'll be somebody probably in the national league West. Yeah. It could be the giants. If they lose out on uh... if the giants don't get judge, but this Xander get Soto. Yeah, who knows? or they'll <laughs> swoop in and, and get him, you know, they'll get ahead of the game. while while people are looking at Correa and just try to get it done early. But 
it's either going to be that or he's going to be the consolation prize. So, all right, uh, let's see some honorable mentions. Alex Verdugo, five for sixteen, and the the notable thing about that is he's hitting up towards the top of the order and seems to be carrying his production up there. That's been an issue, uh, at least in twenty twenty one. Christian Vasquez, uh, a possible uh, trade deadline if we really fall into the toilet. Five for 15, had a very good series. Going down the list now, Bobby Dahlbeck. A lot of us aren't Bobby Dahlbeck uh, fans, but three for 13. Almost uh, got us the win in game three with two home runs, drove in five, had a big game there. Uh, any thoughts on uh, the offense there? Well, yeah, there's no it. one. Oh, go ahead, Andrew. I was going to say that if they can get Devers and Story back and Vasquez and Verdugo are, you know, doing what they're doing and they continue that, they got seven, you know, they're seven deep. And maybe Bobby's turning his I don't give a shit about anything till August thing around right now. Um, if he's doing that, cause he's actually been, his numbers over the last, you know, handful of games have been pretty darn good. Uh, I don't know. It's a very formidable offense with whatever they can do in the bullpen kind of not looking terrible in the back end. It's, it's actually upsetting me the potential of this lineup. If everybody's healthy because it had, they haven't been healthy since the start of July. And it's almost like I feel like this is what's supposed to happen to the Yankees. This is what we laugh at the Yankees for every year. And it's it's coming our way now, and I hate it because Andrew's right. This team could be one through seven deep, and instead they're trotting out four big leaguers every every game and, and five other guys. And Terry, you, you mentioned in your honorable mentions – the only big leaguers on the roster. Like there's no one else that you could give an honorable mention to because they're not major league caliber players. So it's, um, it's almost like right now we just need to play 500 baseball until everybody gets back and hopefully bolster this team a little bit. Maybe we have a shot. I'm not, I'm not sold that we can't make the wild card. I am sold that this is not a world series team. But uh, we'll get to that probably in our next episode. And Trevor story, just so we cover it, uh, no timetable on him, still experiencing discomfort in his hand. So he's probably, I'm going to say, multiple weeks out, two or three. At the, at I the think least. he'll move to the 30-day disabled list. There is no 30-day. <laughs> No, it's either fifteen oh, or it's either fifteen or sixty. Right. <laughs> That's been a while. He will move to the sixty, um, but they'll they'll probably keep him there for another two to three weeks. You're right, Terry. And if that's the case, there's a chance for Rob Refsnyder to play every day. Well, he's that. he's cooling off. I wasn't going to mention him in uh, any of the dishonorables, but uh, where is he? One for nine on the series, so he's he's coming down to earth. That was a nice little run, but uh, you know it it was probably meant to be just a just a short run. But 
Kike didn't end up coming back uh, after those rehab starts. So, all right. Uh, honorable mentions as far as pitching goes. Nick Pavetta finally uh, had a pretty good outing. Five and two thirds. Gave up seven hits, which is pretty standard for him anyway. One earned run. Did walk three. So, if there's anything to bear watching, it's his walk rate. Struck out six. Uh, going further down the list, uh, Jake Diekman had a couple of good outings. Didn't uh, let up a run. It was two and one-third uh, innings pitched over the two outings. Um, had a strikeout in each appearance. And uh, I, we could throw Schreiber in there if you want, but it's, it's a little discouraging to me that he, he gave up the uh, dinger to... Uh, Josh Naylor, but any thoughts on the honorable mentions? Schreiber did not get charged with that. That was Tanner Houck. Oh, that was Houck? Yeah, Schreiber yeah. let up the, a couple doubles, but oh, that my was bad. in the midst that of was Houck. My the hat trick for Franchi. You're right. Yeah, the error kind of played a part in that. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, the runner ended up going to second. My bad. Got my uh, Got my stud relievers mixed up. Uh, but anyway, thoughts on uh, the pitching? It's been pretty good, uh, considering how everyone is hurt and the fact that we're limping limping through it. I mean, we talked about two pitchers on the stud side, and then in the honorable mention section, you mentioned another two. Hard to hate that. This is entirely on the offense, and uh, this team was supposedly built to mash its way, and uh, with all these injuries, they're unable to score. Very, very frustrated with the performances from Nate Evaldi, but we'll get to that on the other end. Absolutely. All right, so we will transition over to the dud side of it. Uh, Job, you're in the leadoff spot. Who is your dud for the Guardian series? Well, my dud for this series was my dud in April, was my dud in May, uh, was my dud for half of June. And that's Hein Bloom. He's been my dud for almost two seasons now. And uh, Terry, I know you put out a poll on the, the Bastards of Boston account. Anyone who's listening to this now, you can go vote on it. You can look at the results yourself. Last I checked, we were at about 550 votes, and 88% of those voting were not impressed with Hein Bloom's tenure in year three now for the Boston Red Sox. I'm Bloom is to blame for this team. You you mentioned John Schreiber giving up, you know, the two doubles. That's not on John Schreiber. That's equally on Heim Bloom because there's no one playing first base. It cost them twice in that inning. It cost them once when Franchi was unable to get a toss to Schreiber for an out at first. And it cost him again when he gave up a, a double down the line. Admittedly, a tough play. You probably don't make that play if you're a below-average first baseman, let alone not a first baseman. It's not Cordero's fault that he's being put in this position. It's not Bobby Dahlbeck's fault that he stinks at first base. Bobby Dahlbeck's numbers when he's playing at third base, pretty good. Pretty good. It really is just Bloom didn't build this team to compete with the AL East. There's a reason 
that we haven't won a series all year at the end of July in the division. And it's because Heim Bloom doesn't have an interest in winning. He has an interest in winning in Portland and he has an interest in winning in high a Greenville. And he likes winning in Pawtucket or now Worcester, but Boston doesn't interest him. And that concerns me. I am out on Heim Bloom again. And as I said in April, the only way that Heim Bloom can win any favor in my eyes is to give Rafi Devers the bag. Why would I give him the bag if he doesn't want to win in Boston? I mean, come on. I don't want to be a dick, but like, oh, go ahead. he doesn't want to win in Boston. That's the dumbest. Like, come on, man. Every, of course he wants to win in Boston. That's ridiculous. He's trying, he was trying to rebuild on the fly. He clearly didn't get a first baseman this year, but you can't say he doesn't want to win. I'm just, he, he seems to care more about the minor league system than he does about the big league team three years in a row. We're not in rebuild mode three years in a row as the Boston Red Sox, Andrew. Like, that is. They made the ALCS and we're up two to one. And I was that throughout that full season. They beat the Yankees, who everyone thinks is better. They beat Tampa, who everyone said was better. And I was was there. I was at that that Yankees game. It was electric. It was amazing. You know who the key player was? The guy he traded for, Kyle Schwarber? Not in that game. It was Andrew Bogarts who hit the home run. My my point being. Schwarber also hit the, the bomb off Garrett Cole to set the tone. Right, right. The, the, the game was great, right, as we go back. I just feel like he needs to add to this team and invest in this team, not just when the fans are calling for it, which they have been at the deadline the last two seasons. You can't give the team the handicap of not having a first baseman two years in a row. Bobby Dahlbeck is 28 years old. He's not developing into some stud first baseman who's going to hit 240 with 30 home runs at any point in his career. He is. I mean, you he, couldn't say that last year. It was his rookie year. Sure, but he's 28 years old. Was he going to peak at 35? They weren't going to sign a first baseman to it. Like, so this whole Freddie Freeman thing, I don't know if people still think that was a possibility. That was the biggest loss of horse shit I've ever heard. They were never going to sign Freddie Freeman. So when John Heyman was, you know – blowing whoever his agent was and saying, oh, Freddie Freeman, he's getting, you know, Boston's offering the bag. Well, that makes that no such sense. such a little crap. That one made exactly. no sense. Exactly. There, maybe there they should have got Rizzo. But that was literally the only other free agent first baseman was Anthony Rizzo. There were no other ones. And they didn't want to do anything with Tristan Cassis coming up. It looked like he was going to be the end of April guy. And then he blows out his ankle and he's out for – you know, he just got to Worcester two days ago. Right. His season, so, admittedly, has been a, a wash. That's been the worst injury. So one of the worst injuries so far for the Red Sox. That has screwed everything. Now, probably should have gotten outfielder. I thought they were going to go for Suzuki. Suzuki didn't want to come to the East Coast. The Yankees didn't get a meeting. We didn't get a meeting. That sucked. I was all in on Suzuki. That really disappointed me. There have been no other outfielders that they could have signed. Well, you know what? They had an outfielder, Andrew. His name was Hunter Renfro, and he, he played pretty well last season. He did. In Boston. And he was also a negative, def- you know, 
defensive value guy, which sucked. And they were really hoping to replace his offense with Trevor Story and then platooning Jackie and hopefully, you know, Jaron Duran in right. And that kind of backfired with the injury to Kike. But Hunter Renfro was great when it happened. I was one of his biggest fans. Before last year, I said he was going to be the MVP of the Red Sox. That was before he even played a game with them. And he was awesome. They sold high. They got two prospects. And, you know, Jackie's been pretty darn good defensively. He saved them routinely. And getting better defensively was their entire MO this offseason. And it hasn't worked. Rodriguez literally went to a brand-new GM and said, get me a shortstop and people that can play defense. And yet their defense – is the reason they split the series. It's been terrible, but they've also been missing, you know, a gold glover in Trevor's story. I think he was the shoe-in. He was 99th percentile. They've been missing Kike, who is just a god last year, had the best metrics, had the a historically great outfield jump in center field. So if you have him in center, Jackie platooning in right, Verdugo in left, that's an above-average defense outfield. Devers was doing pretty darn good at third. Their defense actually looked pretty freaking good at the beginning of the first, you know, I would say 40% of the season. And, yeah, it's gone to shit. And, you know, you got Jaron Duran who can't field. You got you – know, Right. All the prospects over. that Heimblum loves so much can't field, and they clearly can't hit. Well, Jeter Downs has been a pretty good fielder. I'm not going to say that. I, right. He, he's been good. And we he, haven't really seen many prospects that High and Bloom has acquired. All right, guys. So, Joe referenced a poll that I did earlier. 88% of the participants of that poll disapprove of the job High and Bloom has done so far this year. In a similar poll, Almost one year ago, it was on August 5th, 2021, 63% approved, 37% disapproved. So in a year, it's plummeted. And I think as far as preseason expectations go, I think the expectations were lower last year despite the playoff run. And then this year, we had higher expectations. So... It, as far as the fan base go, and I, I know our crowd's a little rowdier, uh, like the disclaimer says, we're not a Homer podcast. We're, we're going to be <laughs> a little more blunt than any other podcast Red Sox fans are going to listen to. Uh, so f- for what it's worth, I mean, th- that's what the numbers are with our crowd. Now, Job says Bloom doesn't want to win. And... I think the fairer statement might be he doesn't necessarily want to win in 2022 at this point. Perhaps he did earlier in the year, but I I don't I don't think we're not seeing we're not seeing moves get made. I mean, why is Franchi Cordero still our first baseman? Jason pointed out in the last show the Mariners went out and got Carlos Santana. Solved their problem. Didn't even wait. Didn't even wait. Why are we waiting? 2018, Dave Dombrowski DFA'd Hanley Ramirez. And on, I think, June 27th of that year, brought in Steve Pierce. 
and addressed the issue. Heimblum hasn't addressed anything right now. This team is just... It's just on a steep downward spiral, and there's just no solutions, and it's frustrating. And then on top of everything else, we're seeing that J.D. Martinez is is being shocked per multiple sources. So I don't – and then on in the same day, Bloom's on Nesson saying, oh, we think we could make the postseason. How? You're going to get rid of J.D. Martinez, and I know he hasn't had a great month, but – he typically turns it around. You don't have Kike Hernandez, who arguably is the top five or ten, uh, you know, as far as extra base hits. We're not getting him back. I don't see how you're gonna you're gonna find guys that are gonna be productive. And and even if you are, why haven't you? Why haven't you yet? It's just it's maddening that nothing's been done absolutely nothing and what what are we going to do we got the brewers next they're a good team i have a feeling i have a feeling we're not going to score a lot of runs even good teams will will struggle with that pitching staff that they have there there's been he's not been proactive and I think all the criticism he's gotten this year is fair. We should not be struggling this bad in his third year with the team. He gets a free pass for 2020. I was extremely underwhelmed last year, but pleasantly surprised by the end of it. So Would they be struggling this bad if Whitlock didn't hurt his hip, if Nate didn't go down with an arm injury? If Devers didn't go out with a hamstring injury and a back injury, if Trevor Story didn't get hit by a pitch, would they be struggling this bad? If Kike didn't hurt his hip, it's hard to say because we had all those hit. we had all those guys in April and similar month. But then they got you know rolling, and then they looked like one of the best teams in the league against the worst opponents in the league. They didn't win a single series in the division all year. Healthy or not. That's very yeah, damning. They still took care of business, and there were decent teams in there. But, okay, so, Andrew, take what you're saying right now. You know, all the unfortunate chain of events. What has he done? There's been no reaction to those. There's been no urgency. There's there's no contingency. Who, who are they going to get? Someone. I mean, we were. Why, isn't, why, isn't jo- why wasn't Josh Bell on the Red Sox in May? Because the Nationals, why would they trade him in May? Well, because you can offer prospects and fix your issue. Okay, would you trade Tristan Cassis for? Would you trade Tristan Cassis for Josh Bell? No, but you don't need to trade Tristan Cassis. Yes, you do in May because guess what? The Nationals had no reason to trade him. You know what? Houston's going to end up giving away for him. They're going to trade a ton. And yet, so here's my concern, and and let me phrase it this way because. Terry, I think you phrased it pretty succinctly. I feel like we're three years into the Bloom era, right? And the team still doesn't have a direction. I don't feel like they've gotten better. I feel like, at most, they're treading water. And there's no sign of an extension for Devers anywhere in the works. And we're going to lose Xander Bogarts, who's been the face of the franchise for nine seasons. At the end of this year, 
I'm okay with not paying him $200 million, But at some point, you got to spend John Henry's money. Where, what it, direction it, were the Red Sox going in after 2019? Oh, they just came off a World Series. You got to pass. So they haven't gotten better since 2019. I, well, yeah, they went to the ALCS last year. They literally won 84 games with a juggernaut lineup and pitching staff in 2019. They had zero assets. To they had no in, there was no youth to bring up to help this team. That's why all these outfielders they're playing 4A guys. Because they haven't developed a single outfielder since, I mean, Mookie. And Benintendi was decent for a year and a half. Nothing after that. Jackie was what he was. They literally had no help whatsoever to from the farm system. I There was just no sustainability. They were barren after 2019. They went in, they went all in to win that World Series in 2018. And you knew that, you know, a reckoning was coming. They lost their manager. They lost a second-round pick. You know, they had what's-his-name being the manager of the damn team, who I don't even think was awake half the time. Will Venable. No. The old guy. Can't even think of his name. Terry Renicky. Yeah. Ron Renicky. I don't even go. think Renicky knew he was the manager of the team in 2020. And they're, they're building, obviously building something. And yeah, it sucked this year. This has been a very unfortunate stretch for about a month. And the Red Sox players still think they can win, make the playoffs. Dever said it just an hour ago, or Bogart said it just an hour ago. I. I mean, I don't understand why I get why people are mad, but like, just relax. Well, so let's put it this way, Andrew, though, this time last year, uh, I would say it's probably around August 5th when Terry put out that, that poll this time last year, players were upset that Heimblum didn't do enough to help that team. Yeah. That team went to the ALCS. But if Heimblum did more to help the team, they could have won the ALCS. They had a two-to-one lead. But who else were they going to get last year? They got one of the best relievers. Robles actually turned into being one of the best relievers that was traded at the deadline. They got one of the most impactful bats at the deadline. Honestly, they had a better deadline than the Yankees last year. Clay Holmes has turned into a monster this year, but Gallo was nothing last year. Rizzo was decent, but I like he. People say he doesn't do anything. He's not addressed first base. That has been very obvious. I'm not going to deny that. But and he downgraded right field. In theory, yeah. Bradley, you know we, I I go back and forth. I get we got prospects, but. In the offseason, you you could have found a Hunter Renfro type guy. I can't I can't pull it up now, but the, all what, the outfielders were terrible or are they were terrible the years. Moves could have been made. I, I just to to go into the season with Jackie Bradley projected as an everyday guy was incredibly reckless. And First base, I put out a tweet last night, and Andrew, you and I played patty cakes on it. 
it's typically pretty easy to come up with a solution at first base. Uh, a few names I've just pulled off the list right now. You could call up the Marlins. Jesus Aguilar would be adequate at first base. Garrett Cooper would be adequate at first base. I didn't have a chance to pull up Hunter Dozier's contract situation with with the Royals, but perhaps something could get done there. If you want to go outfield, uh, same with David Peralta. I don't know what his long-term status is with the Diamondbacks, but perhaps that's a name. Ian Happ he's going to he's going to move this week. Okay. All right. So he's out there. I think the floodgates have opened. I think teams are starting to sell. I think we've seen that. We saw Benintendi move. We saw the Mets make some, you know, lower grade trades tonight with the red, uh, with the Reds. I think we're starting to see it. I don't, I don't think there was any incentive for any teams to trade before the all-star break because now you have so many more teams involved with all these extra wild card spots. Well, the, you can name the price. The Marlins pulled a fast one on everyone and got it done early. I, I think that- the, the writing was on the wall for the Red Sox. And, and when you talk about, well, we were good in May and, and whatever, those weren't against the division. Like the writing was on the wall. July was going to be a tough month and, and Bloom should have been on it. And he wasn't. And the month's about to end on Sunday. And then on Tuesday, you got at the 4 p.m. trade deadline. It's fair on to Tuesday, question. I expect, I expect Heim Bloom to do two things. <laughs> One, I expect him to add three to four prospects that the average fan listening to the show has never heard of that Andrew probably knows because Andrew is a prospects guy, admittedly, and they're probably going to help this team in 2025. And he's going to hurt the 2022 Boston Red Sox. And the product is already dreadful. I, I am frustrated with the fact that we're in the basement in the American League East and everyone else in the division seems to have a brighter future than we do. I just... <sighs> Bloom can build a farm system. We've seen it. You know, we're, we're watching it weekly. I don't I'm not sold that he's he's a top executive on a big market baseball team. I, I, he nothing he's really done has impressed me really in terms of I'm glad he signed story. I'm glad he he gave an example of where he's he's spending money, but nothing at the big league level so far has impressed me. And we've had the resources to to put better players on the field than we have go back to the Epstein era. I I know we've been a top five farm system at various points over the last two decades, but we've, we've always found ways to win three other executives found ways to win. and, And they took a much faster route to get there. I haven't seen anything that's like, Oh wow. That was a, that was a great move. Wow. Where did that come from? I guess I'm Bloom is Ben Sherrington. The one exception, I, I guess, is Whitlock, which we'll and all consider. Sean Shriver's been pretty damn good too. I think we got well, that was a lottery ticket, like what you like to say, and and we. Well, we so was David Ortiz. We had a <laughs> no. I know, I know, but you make it, a good point. It was, it was, but that that was a lottery ticket situation. A guy we pulled off the scrap heap, and and 
it might start going the wrong way though. I, I don't know. I mean, he's, he's had some tough outings as of late, but, um, Schreiber, I was talking about just for the record, but I don't know. And here's my fear. Here's my fear. Look at the Dodgers. I think a lot of people would probably rank Andrew Friedman in the top five. He comes from Tampa, just like Hein Bloom. He he had the benefit of rebuilding his team while his division was insanely weak. That's why the Dodgers haven't lost the division in forever. But they've spent all that time rebuilding it, developing players, putting them on the field, and they have a World Series with an asterisk next to it. And I, there's nothing about the Dodgers right now that have World Series written all over them for. I mean, perhaps maybe they make some moves. Maybe they get hot. Maybe they, maybe they do make a run into the World Series this year. But nothing about them right now is, you know, is really scaring me. And, and what I'm getting at here is we're taking this long road to get to the promised land that Hein Bloom has envisioned in his mind. And who's to say when we finally get there, we're not just going to simply be the Dodgers and, and, and whiff every year and, and, and just not get it done. I would just rather have a balance of, of what we're familiar with. And then, you know, a little bit of, of the, the farm building. Let me ask you, what, what are we familiar with then? If you look at the, since 2001, well, let's just call it that. What are we familiar with? We're familiar with, Winning. yeah, being active in, in terms of putting good players on the, on the field. We're familiar with, yeah, we, we've developed some, some hitting prospects, not so much pitching, but. And the way they developed and got all these prospects in the early 2000s is because they were able to game the system with a type A and type B free agents. They had four and four to five first round picks, first and second round picks every single year because they could trade for scrub reliever, you know, Joe Schmo and get a second round pick out of it every season. It was so much easier to build a team like that. And then, you know, the Red Sox, 03, 04, great. 05, 06, not that great. 07, great. You know, you're, you win the World Series or whatever, 07, 08. And then 9, 10, 11, 12, pretty bad. 13, great. All, all more well, fun we to were, watch than this team. Currently. Was it more fun? Yeah. Was it more fun when players were dropping dimes on other players managers were living in hotel rooms because they were having extramarital affairs when there were players were getting shit-faced and eating chicken in the locker room when john lester got just you know he turned into a whole different person it just infiltrated by uh lackey and beckett and lackey had his you know public divorce from his wife that was battling cancer then let me tell you, they weren't exactly just rainbows and, you know, uh, unicorns there. Well, they were the guys that would would drop a million F-bombs when the ball got taken out of their hand, you know, on the way back. And, and they walked back with their 5.4 ERAs. And I, I, well, I don't remember those. <laughs> and, guys who being... had, and let's remember, those teams had to get bailed out like the U.S. government would bail out like airlines and you know, the banks. Well, in 2012, they got bailed out, but 
2007 World Series, 2008, probably the best season we've ever seen, but the Rays took mm -hmm. us out in Game 7 of the World Series. 2009 was a great season. We just we, we whiffed against the Angels in the ALDS. It was almost looking like a surefire Yankees-Red Sox ALCS 2009. Didn't happen, but it was a good year. And then 2011, we were a juggernaut. We just, that was the beer and chicken season you were alluding to. And then it, it wasn't so great for a little while. Ben Sherrington made some great moves in, in 2013 that got us that World Series. That's kind of what I thought Bloom would be able to do. I thought Bloom would be able to come in and identify some guys he could he could sign short term and and possibly trade. I mean, that that's what's so frustrating. They they could have just signed guys this season and then shipped them off like Hunter Renfro. Isn't that the, what they kind of did last year? The contract year was friendly. deal for TK, one year deal with well scrap heap for Renfro. The, they kind of did the that offense last year. was was much better than I thought it would be last year, but the the pitching's what did us in. The pitching then, was the most underwhelming. And then you know Charrington then goes out and gets them in a world of trouble. Well, I those contracts were short term. I I don't think anybody would those have. Those were five year deals. No, they were three year deals. Napoli and Victorino is what well, I. Oh no, I'm talking no. When he gets us into trouble the following year, when he signs oh, in 2015, yeah, I wasn't Pablo and Hanley and Rusny Castillo. Well, here's the thing, I don't know that those were the guys Sherrington really wanted. I I think. They because Bill James was super active in, in the front office and 2015 was the, the ground ball theory year. They went after all high ground ball guys, Wade Miley, Justin Masterson, Rick Porcello. I mean, and Lucchino was very active as well. I think that was his, his last year uh, in, in that role. But I think if, if Sherrington had more authority... I think it would have been a better team. I think Ben Sherrington had the least amount of authority of any of these guys, Epstein, Dombrowski, Bloom. So we'll, we'll see what he does in Pittsburgh. I mean, as far as building a farm, I, I'd say Bloom's probably better, but, but there's just no balance. There's no balance. It, it's, it's all been Tampa Bay type moves outside of Trevor story. And we're not seeing anything right now. He's laying there like a dead fish and he's talking about trading JD Martinez. So that frustrates yeah, me. Bloom would be the best farm director in baseball. Yeah. I'm, he's great at that. But I want to, I was just, I thought he was going to be so much better at, at pulling off these surprise moves that just blow everybody away at the major league level. And we haven't seen it yet. So maybe we will in the next few days. We're going to, again, in the next episode, be talking a lot of trade talk. But on to Milwaukee. Yes. All right. <laughs> it's on to Milwaukee. After that intense uh, dud, do you want it? Would you like to bring up your dud, uh, Andrew? I don't even remember who it was. Duran. <laughs> okay, uh, Jaron Duran has been terrible. <laughs> One for 11. We need an outfielder. I also, uh, you guys cut me off. Ian Happ was a name I kind of pulled off the Cubs. Uh, that sounds doable, I think. But um, 
Neat Nap would fit. I don't, I don't know what he's going to cost, but yeah, he'd be a good fit. Yeah. All right. Uh, here's my uh, dud for the series. Where are we at time wise? We really. Oh, we're we're well over an hour. Yeah, hour and seven. Well, this is going to be a long episode then. My dud is uh, Alex Cora, and the reason he's my dud is you had Franchi Cordero with three errors in a game. I don't know if that's ever been done before in the modern era of, of Red Sox history. Three in one game. And Bloom obviously owns a, a share of that responsibility. But this team is not locked in. We're not seeing this great Alex Cora ma- magic. I, we don't know. We can't say for certain what's going on behind the scenes. If there's team meetings being had. If Cora is getting in guys' faces uh, when he needs to, I, I highly doubt that because he's this passive, lovey-dovey, millennial-era GM who coddles his players. And I, I, I start to question, how long is he going to be here? When does it stop making sense? I know Bloom has to give him some better players, but is Alex Cora really making the most of what he has? Is he keeping the guys in line? Because I'm seeing a very sloppy team right now that has no urgency, and he's not going to get fired like the rash of firings we saw. Could he this offseason? I think there's a a higher percentage he could. albeit not an overall high percentage, but it's disappointing. It's absolutely disappointing. And I want to see Alex Cora getting in guys' faces. I want to see him pull a player from a game that doesn't seem to have his head in the game. Like Duran, when the ball went over his head and, and I think Franchi should have come out of the game last night. I, I don't know who you would have put in there necessarily. I guess Ref Snyder could have could have played first. You would have put Vasquez at first and Ploiecki behind the dish. Actually, did that happen? Where did Vasquez play in game three? Or was that game uh, two? I, I don't have it up, this but is, I, I believe he caught. Where was Ploiecki? Oh, okay, no. Yeah, so Vasquez would have went to first. Ploiecki played game two. Um, my bad. So, um, but... I, I'm just, I wasn't a Cora guy as far as coming back. I just kind of wanted them to move on. But I, I'm just wondering, it just seems flat right now. It seems very stale as far as uh, the Cora situation. And and another thing, too, is is Will Venable a strong second voice in that dugout? No. <laughs> He's no Ron Renneke. He doesn't command the, the respect necessarily as a guy. Uh, you know, like like Renicky that had been around a while, who was probably great in that role, but yeah. So anyway, you know, my, my, my thoughts on Cora, and I'll be, I'll be quick because I know we're we're running pretty late here, but I think Alex Cora, I know he won't get fired. I don't think he'll get fired this off season. He won't get fired mid season. I think that he might quit. In the off season, but there's only so much you can do, given the crap you're you're working with, and he is working with five players 
who are triple A caliber, or I don't even think that they're four A caliber in reality in his everyday lineup over the last 10 days. There's not so many buttons you can push when, you know, you want a guy in the bullpen in Garrett Whitlock, but you know, your boss, Heim Bloom says, no, 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 he's got to be in the starting rotation. So then you're given, I don't know that he has the control that he would want on this team. And I don't think that he's the guy going forward. If you, lose Xander Bogarts in the offseason, and if you don't have an intention of paying Rafi Devers, then I think Zan- I think, I think um, there's a decent chance that Cora says, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go manage for somebody else, somebody with an interest in winning. And you know, uh, I think he still has a, a lot in the tank as a manager. I just don't know that he's a great fit for not having the control that he wants to work with. And we know Dombrowski – gives you that control as a manager. Like, lineup card is yours. I just get the talent. And uh, I don't think Bloom operates that way. So I don't know that they're super compatible. That's an interesting point, Joe, because when you look ahead to next year, J.D. possibly not coming back and probably won't be. Um, One of Xander or Devers might not be here, depending on how those circumstances go. Vasquez possibly not back next year, although I think he stands a decent chance at it. Um, Evaldi probably not coming back next year. How How is Bloom going to find guys of similar impact to to put in their place? Maybe, maybe Bloom does get aggressive. I don't know. But if Cora gets the impression that Bloom isn't going to be aggressive and and Cora's like, I got to I got to do this again for what would essentially be a third year in a row. Maybe maybe he's like, "Ah, I'd just rather go spend some time with family at this point. Right. I I think there's also a, a consideration of not being given control of the lineup card the way that he would want. Not even not being given the weapons, but I think a lot of the situation, you know, with. Whitlock and how can Whitlock to the, you know, rotation versus the bullpen. I think that rubs Cora the wrong way, and um, I think there are certain managers like like a Joe Madden, for example. They want the lineup card, and uh, that's it. They, they don't want it to be micromanaged. They think that the statistics and and all of that is gone too far. And I put Cora in that same category of guys that think somewhat of a balance and, and lean old school. I don't know that him and Heim Bloom are, are really a match the way that him and Dombrowski would, would have been. Um, so I don't know if Cora would want to be here if the Red Sox are going to move on from some of his guys in Devers and Bogarts and Avaldi. Uh, and I know Plowecki is, uh, is Cora's guy. He's probably not going to be here either. Yeah. I mean, Cora, for what it's worth, probably enjoyed the Dombrowski era <laughs> a little bit more because Dombrowski was so reactive. And I, I know we paid a price for it as far as the farm went, but um, you know, and we got saddled down with some bad contracts as well. But um, but Dombrowski lets lets Cora manage, right? And I, I feel like that's not as much the case now because the way the team is built is, is very specific. And that's an element of the, the Tampa Bay system, right? That's why they take the ball out of Blake Snell's hands when he's 
dominating, but third time through the order, it's got to come out, that kind of thing. And I, I don't know that Cora is the right guy to, to manage that way anymore. We'll see. I mean, I, I think Cora does carry a little bit more influence than the Kevin Cash guy might in, in Tampa Bay, but perhaps we'll find out later on that that wasn't necessarily the case. But Andrew, any thoughts on Alex Cora? No, I think he's fine. I mean, he, there was already an article that came out yesterday, today, and he said every you know talked about the relationship, how good it is. So I think a lot of that sports radio driven. So I don't think it's a problem. And Corey already said before the year that he's not doing this forever. He's got two young daughters. You know, he's already got one that's off in college. He doesn't want to miss these two growing up. So he, I think I said it a few weeks or maybe a month or two ago that. If anything, he'd move into a front office position because it'd be a lot easier for him. I don't know if it's with the Red Sox or if it's down, you know, Southern Florida, but yeah. He um, was basically the GM for the Puerto Rican WBC team. So, and he loved it. He said how he hates that he can't do it because of the rules. Yeah. And I think that was the year they went to the finals against Team USA as well. Um, all right, so let's just go ahead. I don't even have the matchups in front of me. Uh, tomorrow is Woodruff and Bayo oh. in game one. Well, I mean, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to see this kid have a, have a decent outing. But, I don't know, Andrew, uh, go ahead. How do you see that one playing out? I think he finally snaps out of it. I think he gets the win. Milwaukee's been decent lately, but it's been against worse teams. When they've faced some good teams, they've they've lost some games. So I, I think they I think Bayo uh, gets on the board here. I hope you're right, Andrew. That would be awesome. I, I'd love to see the kid dominate. So you, you guys, who, who are we picking? So are you we are the Red split. Sox, Andrew. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm taking the Brewers. I just think. You know, Woodruff's a, a good pitcher, and and I mean, w- we don't have the best guys in our lineup. I know we put up four runs tonight, six the night before, but um, I just feel like that it's an ugly matchup, and I just think Woodruff's going to be pretty effective against us. So I'm going to take the Brewers in game one. Uh, game two, Eric Lauer, who's having a, a pretty good season. Uh, I think that's basically a breakout season for him. He's going up against Nick Pavetta. Um, Andrew, how do you see that one going? I have the Red Sox again. Um, I think I, you know, I liked what I was seeing out of Pavetta uh, last time out. Um, Eric Lauer, a little a lot of smoke and mirrors if you look at his baseball savant page. Uh, guys are barreling him up. Um, decent K percentage, but. Um, yeah, below the 50 percentile in pretty much everything else. I, I agree with Andrew. I think, A, I was, I was very happy with what I saw from Pavetta in this Guardian series. Uh, B, I think Milwaukee Brewers' offense is dreadful. I mean, they are really, really bad. And I think Nick Pavetta carves them up. Uh, Lauer doesn't worry me too much. Uh, like Andrew mentioned, he does strike out a lot of people, but when they make contact, the ball goes a long way. 
this is, a, in my opinion, a prime game for Franchi Cordero to go yard. This is the kind of game where, you know, the ball's left over and he hits it 500 feet. And then he'll also have three strikeouts. But um, I expect the Red Sox to win game two. I agree with both of you. Uh, this should be a lineup that Pavetta can kind of keep off balance. It's certainly not a high-powered AL East lineup that he's facing. So this should be a good uh, matchup for Pavetta to kind of build on uh, what he did uh, against the Guardians. Getting into game three, that is Aaron Ashby, who I think just got like an extension today. Maybe some of that was buying up some arbitration years, but um, he he got a bigger deal from the Brewers, and he's going to be going up against Josh Winkowski. Andrew, how do you see that one? That one I got for Milwaukee. Um, Winkowski stuff doesn't play as well as a starter as it does a reliever when in the past he's been hitting 99 as a reliever. He's just not the same guy. Uh, I don't think he's long for starter. I think once Hill and Waka get back, I I think he's, um, I think he's in the bullpen. I'm flip-flopping on this one. I'm going the other direction. I think Winkowski gives you probably only four innings, maybe four and a third. Um, it gets you into the fifth inning. Um, but I, I think the Red Sox lineup can, you know, can do some damage in the third game of this set. And, um, I really don't want the season to end. So this is as much an emotional plea for a series win, uh, before the deadline as it is, uh, any analysis there. I also, if my math is right, this is the game that Rafi Devers is eligible to come back off the injured list. I don't know that he will, but that's that's also a factor in my in my calculation here. Well, that uh... um, I think he comes off literally like minutes after the trade deadline. <laughs> I'm not joking. I think that's when he's eligible. I remember Sox stats uh, tweeted. Oh, oh, gotcha. <laughs> oh, you're right. You know what? He played. He played in the one the one game and then went. And then went back. Uh, he, he was injured, so they couldn't retroactive. Um, so you're absolutely right. He's he's not eligible. Um, but I, I'm still hopeful that we win game three. I like Josh Winkowski personally. I, I like that he's a little brash. Um, I I hope Andrew's wrong about how he plays better in in which role. But um, I just don't see him figuring it out even against the Brewers. So, um, and Ashby's this young guy that, you know, typically we, we tend to struggle with. So despite, you know, a, a 4.38 ERA, not really looking, um, you know, that daunting, but I could see the Red Sox kind of getting stifled here and, uh, Winkowski letting up a few. The painful thing about Winkowski is his home runs are always bad. It's always like a three run shot, uh, you know, with a couple of outs and just kind of painful. So I'll take the Brewers in this one, two games to one. I, I would love it if, uh, you know, either game one or three, um, goes against me. On how I pick, but 
We will wrap on that. We'll be back again tomorrow for our deep dives episode. I hate the fact that uh, those sometimes get released on Saturday, but if the series ends on a Thursday, that's unfortunately um, how it goes. So if you're having a weekend road trip, take us with you. We'll be talking nothing but trade talk. Take care.